morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. If you need to use one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find it on page 894. Romans chapter 16 or page 894 in our pew Bible. Uh, This is the the last sermon we have in the book of Romans, at least for quite some time. We started our study of the book of Romans back in February of 2022. So we've been in this book for quite some time. Took a break over the summer and then during Advent. But this, other than next week, we'll have our reflection service on the book of Romans. We'll be concluding our study. If you're new to Christ Community Church and you don't know what a reflection service is, you're going to enjoy it. In, In essence, it's where the congregation preaches the sermon. So I encourage you to be here next week as we reflect on God, how God has used his word to encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, change us through the preaching that we've done through basically chapters 8 through 16. So that's going to be a wonderful time. That'll be next week's reflection service. Well, by now you should be at Romans 16. Would you stand as I read God's word? Romans chapter 16, Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sencrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Juna. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, at first glance, Romans 16 is the kind of chapter you might expect a preacher to want to avoid, Uh, especially a preacher who's about to go on sabbatical in just a couple of weeks and is looking to end Romans on a high note. 
If you are new to the book of Romans, you might have been caught a little bit by surprise as well, considering all that we've learned in chapter 15, ending on this almost crescendo of gospel unity and being a missionally minded people, you'd expect 16 to just send you off rather than give you probably a list of Paul's Twitter followers, it seems. Not the easiest text to preach from to present the gospel. As a matter of fact, in answer to the question, hey, I'm really interested about Christianity, what's it teach, and what I should be reading in the Bible, where do I begin? Romans 16 said no one ever. But maybe we should. After all, what is this list of over 35 names? They're friends. Friends of Paul that have been radically, comprehensively, forever changed by the gospel. This same Paul who in chapter 15, verse 19 said, I completed the work of the gospel of Christ. The man Paul who up to turned over Western civilization. The ancient world was never the same because of his preaching. This man had lots and lots of friends. I mean, he's swimming in them. What a contrast, what a contrast to our cultural glamorization of the, of the strong man or woman, self-sufficient, self-reliant, the entrepreneur, the trailblazer, the visionary who goes it alone. For you of an older generation, the Marlboro man, right? Or the army of one, independent and strong, unassailable by life's storms and struggles, strong, stoic, unmoving, invincible, invictus, we would say. That's the cultural ideal. That's strength. The Bible teaches none of that. As a matter of fact, Romans 16 tells us that's exactly the opposite of what is good for human flourishing. You cannot help but to feel the benevolent weight of relationships when you read a chapter like Romans 16. And call them what you want. Call it what you want. Relationships, community, fellowship, friendship. It is clearly here. One of the profound joys of the Christian life, friends, is that so much of it is made up of relationships. So much of the Christian life we do together, we laugh together, we cry together, we work together, we worship together, we weep together, we think together, we dream together, we pray together, we do missions together, we do life together, we do it all together. It's one of the blessings of having a community of a body of brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, what it turns out is that Romans 16 is actually a case study in the workings out of the gospel. I mean, where do you go for encouragement and strength? The gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace and Christian brothers and sisters. And friends, this is all made possible. As we have studied the gospel in the book of Romans, this is all made possible. These kinds of deep, satisfying, fulfilling relationships are made possible because Jesus Christ himself is the friend of sinners. And as I was thinking about the way Paul ended this book, I'm also grateful for the fact that the way Romans 16 ends like this because it's a reminder to us that the weighty things of God, and we have studied some weighty things in the book of Romans, haven't we? The weighty things of God do not belong alone to the theologians and scholars amongst us, but they are ours, everyday people, like Rufus, Tryphena, Ampliatus, Jeff, Julie, Andy, or Scott. 
This is our legacy. This is our heritage, not for the academics and theologians alone. No, for you and I. Friends, we need Romans 16, chapters like this, because we need to keep a Christian theology of friendship because we are made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God means to be made for relationships. I mean, think back to it. If you're familiar with Genesis chapter 2, the only thing God said was not good was that man is alone. Do you ever think why that is? I think in the context of Romans 16, we have the answer. It's because God knows that even when we are in paradise, we cannot enjoy it if we don't have friends to share it with. And so we need chapters like this to remind us that part of being in the image of God is to have relationships, to have friends, just as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have shared an eternal friendship, we were made to do the same. So it's actually really fitting. It actually makes sense that Romans 16 would end this way because the entire book of Romans has been about the glory of God in Christ. And it ends with one of the sweetest realities of that glory and that mercy and that grace. That's friends. Friends that point us towards that glory and that grace. And so this morning, I just want to make three points from our chapter. Three quick points, and they are God's glory and the importance of friendship. God's grace as the foundation of friendship. And God's gospel as the model of friendship. There's a lot to get into, and we'll cover as much as we can, but what we're going to do is follow that thread of friendship all the way through. Let's look at it one at a time. God's glory and the importance of friendship. You realize in this single chapter of Romans 16, Paul greets more people than in all his other letters combined. He names 35 people by name, and that's not counting the others that he's implying. But it's not just the amount of friendship Notice with me the depth, the diversity of the friendships that he has. And friends, as we're talking about this, I want you to be thinking, what are my friendships like? Are they all just news, weather, sports, entertainments, trivialities, things of this world? Or do they have the rich infrastructure that you're, we're going to hear about here? Notice with me the, 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 the depth of friendship. Look at some of these phrases, verse 4. They risked their necks for me, Paul says. Verse 7, my fellow prisoners, they did time together. Verse 11, verse 21, my kinsmen. He's not talking about that these are his family members. He's referring to, that, that's an allusion to the fact that these are fellow Jews who are believers in the Messiah as well. And then verse 13, who has been a mother to me as well. There is a depth of friendship here, shared trials and joys. But there's also a diversity of friendship. Just look at the way he describes the various words to describe their friendship. Patron, fellow worker, beloved, first convert, chosen, sister, brother, servant. Each of these terms have a nuance. Each of these terms share a story. And I wish we could know the backstory of all of them. But we don't. We get, we get glimpses like here in Romans 16. In these names, there's diversity even in the names. There are Greek names. There are Latin names. There are Jewish names. Some of these friends, because of we know the way their, structure, their society was structured, even the kind of name you had would determine the position of society you had. And so we know by the list of names that Paul, he had some friends in high places. 
And for you country fans, he had friends in low places as well, right? They were freedmen. They were slaves. They were men. They were women. This listing really is an evidence of what Paul talks about in Colossians 3.11 when he says, here, here being the church, the community of believers, the saints, here is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. But notice, if you would, this isn't just a list of individual Christian friends and relationships, but entire churches partnering together in gospel friendship. Notice with me verse 5. Paul says, greet also the church in their house. Verse 14, greet Asyncritus and the brothers who are with them. Verse 15, greet Philologus and all the saints who are with them. Verse 16, all the churches of Christ greet you. A little helpful tip here, and maybe you picked up a little bit in Bill's pastoral prayer. When people ask you, hey, what church do you go to? And you tell them Christ Communion Church. And they ask you, well, how's the church doing? I hope you don't answer just in the context of how we are doing. Now, I understand if you do, it makes sense. But friends, we're, we're not the entirety of the church. When someone asks me how the church is doing, I, of course, understand what they're asking, so I'll say what's going on. But when I think of the church, I want to think about the churches here. The brothers and sisters at Crossline, Reverence, Tribuco Canyon, Compass, Calvary Chapel, Faith, uh, Faith Bible, and Laguna Niguel. That's the church. I want you to have a broader understanding of what we are. And, and while God has blessed Christ's community, we are not the church. We're just one manifestation of it. And you see in Paul's language that when he thought about the church, it just wasn't these Roman Christians, but it was all these Christians from everywhere partnering together for the good of the gospel. Christian friendship is not simply just something individuals share. Entire congregations can have it. And that's why we find it is good as a church to partner even denominationally. We're a part of the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Churches of America. We co-labor with what's called the Gospel Coalition, a collection of like-minded churches to do gospel good. Because we recognize God's work, it includes us, and let's see how good you guys pay attention, but God's work will always, oh, that fell flat. (laughs) Kind of use first hour for the podcast. God's work includes us, but it always transcends us, doesn't it? And we see that modeled by Paul himself. Let's get back to it. So Paul begins by commending Phoebe, a deaconess from the church of Sincrea. More likely, she was a woman with means. Uh, we, he, Paul says she was his patron and a patron of many others. And she turns out she is the individual who delivered the book or the letter to the Roman church. So it's a good chance she was a business person, was, happened to be in Corinth, picked up the correspondence from Paul, and had business to do in Rome and delivered the letter there. She is a great example of an individual with means using their material blessings not just for their own selves but for gospel work as well. Just as we hear in verse 23 in Corinth, the individuals Gaius and Erastus in the church at Corinth. In fact, it's likely that this Erastus here is the same man whose name is engraved on a famous limestone plaque that was discovered in an archaeological dig of ancient Corinth. I have a picture of it on the screens behind me. The plaque reads, Erastus, in return for his aedileship, laid the road at his own expense. Not an aedile was an elected official to oversee aspects of the city finances. 
Notice in verse 23, what is Erastus's job? He's the city treasurer. Erastus was a rather rare name, and so many theologians, scholars, historians, archaeologists believe that this inscription of this Erastus is none other than the fellow churchmen mentioned here in Romans 16.23. After Phoebe, Paul mentions Prisca and Aquila. Now, you may be familiar with her longer name in the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila, a gospel-centered couple if there ever was one. Just like in verse 7, we have Andronicus and Junia, and probably verse 15, Philologus and Julia, gospel-centered culture, gospel-centered couples, living for what matters. Prisca and Aquila, we know from Acts chapter 18, were fellow tent makers, just like Paul, and they were always thinking about kingdom work. We know from Acts chapter 18, verse 26, that they discipled momentarily Apollo so he would understand the gospel and preach it more effectively. And wherever they lived, we hear from Romans 16 here and 1 Corinthians 16, 19, wherever Priscilla and Aquila live, they opened their house to be used as a church. You can imagine Paul's affection for them. Epinatus, the first convert to Christ in Asia, which probably means he was Paul's first convert in Ephesus. And the Greek word behind first convert here is typically translated as first fruits. It's an agricultural term. Many of you are familiar with it. It it, it indicates the coming of the harvest. It's the first fruit that comes from the harvest. And it usually means hope. I don't mean linguistically, but practically speaking, first fruits were were a symbol of hope because all the sowing of seeds and the tilling of the soil and the labor that the farmer would give, that first fruits showed him it was effective. And that there's a harvest to come. The rewards are coming. It's the same word Paul uses of Christ's resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. That he's the first fruits from the dead. That's evidence that the harvest is coming. That the, the faithful work of gospel proclamation, the life of Christ, the active and passive obedience of Christ is bearing fruit. There's going to be a whole resurrection of those raised to new life. You can imagine because Epinetus was this young convert or this first convert of Paul that gave him hope that his ministry in Asia was going to be a success, they probably had a long and affectionate relationship. Some of you older saints, do you remember the first man or woman you had the privilege to share Christ with, lead them to the gospel, lead them to the Savior, and pour into their lives? You probably still have a relationship with them. Last May, Lori and I got a chance to go back to my mother's memorial. And one of the evenings we were there, it was such a sweet night, we got to have dinner with some of the kids who were in my first youth ministry back in the late 80s, Alex, Curtis, Naomi. They're in their late 40s now. Um, I was just two years older than them when I became their youth pastor. Can you imagine me as a pastor at 18? Wow. Um, How sweet. Curtis and Naomi in particular were just rocker kids. Everyone that was cool in the 80s was a rocker, right? Um, So they were rocker kids. I say that because I forget my wife's not in this service and she was not a rocker. So I always bribe her that. (laughs) Curtis and Naomi were just kids. Now they are a married couple and their children are in the same youth group I was a part of back in the 80s. And to sit there and the affection. I wonder if Paul had the same affection and connection with that being here. Mary, moving on. It's a common Jewish name. There's no reason to believe that this Mary that Paul's referring to was any of the Marys listed in the gospel accounts. Whoever she is, whatever she had done, Paul just wanted to make sure that she was honored because she worked hard for God's people, just like Persis in verse 12. 
Andronicus and Junia, early converts to the Christian faith, and they served time, Paul says. They were fellow prisoners with me, no doubt for the gospel, because there's, other, there's also that phrase that they are esteemed by the apostles. The New Living Translation says they are respected by the apostles. You can imagine what kind of a couple this was. We would probably call them pretty hardcore. Maybe they were esteemed by the apostles because of the way they lived so radically for the gospel. That's what ended them up in jail. Ampliatus, Urbanus, Stachys, Apelles. Paul has probably a personal connection with the first three of them. Probably knows Apelles just from his reputation, but regards them all with an affection. Greet Aristobulus' family. This is a little bit of an Easter egg, Aristobulus and his family. Why is that? If you know the gospel accounts, Aristobulus is the grandson of Herod the Great. He's also the brother of Herod Agrippa I. If the name Herod Agrippa I sounds familiar, it ought to be because in Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa I, Acts 12 says, was eaten by worms. Aristobulus was related to those two. Unfortunately, Aristobulus was dead by the time Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church. But I love the fact that even in the household of men who stood against the gospel, Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I, there were members bowing the knee to Christ. I just want to encourage you, if you are in a family situation where it seems like they're hardened to the gospel, they will reject the gospel, I want you to be encouraged that in history there are men and women in households that they may reject the gospel, but there are some who come to faith. Keep at praying for those people. Keep at sharing the gospel with those people. Another name here, another powerful name, Aristobulus is a, a name in high place, but also the name, the family of Narcissus, he says. Greet the family of Narcissus. Narcissus was a, a, a very well-known freedman. He had earned his freedom from slavery and served the emperor Claudius. When the emperor Claudius died in AD 54, this was good news for most of the Jews, including Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, which is why they probably moved back to Rome and are in Rome at this time. Because in AD 49, Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. They were troublemakers, and he wanted them out. And so all the Jews, including Priscilla and Aquila, were moved out of Rome, and that's probably why they met Paul somewhere else in Asia. When Claudius died, his edict had expired in AD 54, and all these Jews came right back into the city of Rome, which is why some of the problems of the Roman church existed. When all the Jews were expelled, the church became predominantly Gentile and grew in Gentile culture and in influence. And then the Jews had come back to the church. They were a minority, which led to some of the concerns we looked at in Romans 14 and 15. So this was good news generally for the Jews, but not for our brother Claudius. Because Nero's mother, the new emperor, Agrippina, had every man who served close to the emperor forced commit suicide. And Narcissus was one of them. But Paul says, greet their family. And then Paul goes on, greeting more women, Tryphena and Tryphosa. And of course, Rufus's mother. And I just, I just love, you can't make this stuff up, all these interconnections. Rufus hopefully sounds like a familiar name, if especially as our study of the Gospel of Mark, because Rufus is mentioned in Mark 15, 21. As Jesus is being led to his crucifixion, he can no longer carry the crossbeam. And the Roman centurions force a man standing on the side by the name of Simon of Cyrene, who happens to be the father of Alexander and Rufus. You see, Mark wrote the Mark's gospel in Rome. 
And he probably knew, oh, this was Rufus's dad. So he writes Rufus's name in there. And here we see not only did Rufus's father have a ministry to our Lord and Savior, but Rufus's mother had a wonderful ministry to Paul the Apostle, who was like a mother to me, Paul says. Ladies, could you imagine mothering the Apostle Paul? <laughs> Paul, even though it's prison, I'm sure you could eat better, right? Or something along those lines. Paul, you can still preach the gospel and not be such a jerk about it. You know, I don't know what the conversations were like. But whatever they were like, she had Paul's heart. And he acknowledged that. Friends, I hope it's clear, just as, as a side note, that Paul loved, respected, valued, and cherished women. Of the 35 names in our list, 10 of them are women. And the reason I bring that up is that there are some people, uh, scholars, other church individuals, that they'll say that Paul was a misogynist or chauvinist at, at, at best because he wrote against the fact that women, he would say that women could not hold the office of pastor or elder. How dare he, the misogynist, the chauvinist. That because Paul believed that gender had defined roles and purposes in God's design and plan, that they, they would say that he hated women. Clearly reading Paul with a bias, he loved, respected, and valued these women and rejoiced to have them as friends, especially in a culture that by and large ignored them. In his correspondence, he writes of them all the time. And Paul completes his list, naming what appears to be households as we move down. Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, and Hermas. And secondly, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus. Now, I'll address, um, if you're following me in the text, I'll, I'll address verses 17 to 20 shortly. But the remainder of his friends are in verses 21 to 23, that they're with Paul currently in Corinth as he's writing this letter. Timothy, Paul's most well-known friend, obviously. Lucius, Jason, Jason Sosipater, Tertius. And, and if you were listening, you may have been confused by that statement that Tertius says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle by my hand, what's going on there? I thought Paul wrote the epistle. That's correct. But common in that time, people were not literate enough, so they would hire scribes called amanuenses, and they would basically write down whatever the person said. Now, obviously, Paul was brilliant. He could have wrote it himself, but he had hired Tertius as an amanuensis to, to write down what he was saying. And Paul's graciousness even allows Tertius to give a shout-out. So we see that right there in the text. Tertius says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, say hello as well. And then finally, Gaius, Erastus, and Quartus. Quite a list of friends, isn't it? Most of us didn't even know any of these people. I guess it's a reminder that while God may raise up one or two individuals to prominence in our culture, it takes a whole lot more work for gospel work to take place. For every Paul, there are 35 individuals behind them, if not more. I imagine if I was in the Church of Rome to get your name mentioned by the great Apostle Paul would feel kind of good. Imagine getting a shout-out by Paul. Probably the most comparable thing is if a celebrity said hello to you at a local Starbucks. Imagine if you were at uh, Starbucks down the street and uh, Chris Pratt says, Morgan, how you doing, man, and spends a few moments talking to him. If that happened to any of you, you probably would stand a little taller. Somebody of importance knows me. I have some value. I imagine that's you all can relate, whether it's the, the popular kid on school that says hello or the powerful person at the office. We know what it's like to have someone of esteem acknowledge us. 
And as great as it might be to have Chris Pratt or anyone else, imagine what it is for the Lord of glory one day to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful saint, Jesus knows and cares about your service, even if it feels like no one else does. And Romans 16 is just a reminder of that. Romans 16 is a reminder that most of the heroes of the faith are unsung heroes. But every one of them has a story. Did you notice, though, we have to bear attention to this. It's obvious, but it bears noting what's the common denominator in all these friendships. And that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God given to us in the message of the gospel brings is the fountainhead of all that is good, including friends. Notice the Christ-centered relationships are the basis of all these diverse relationships. Verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, the first convert to Christ. Verse 7, they were also in Christ before me. Verse 8, my dear friend in the Lord. Verse 9, our co-worker in Christ. Verse 10, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, who are in the Lord. Verse 12, who have worked hard in the Lord. Verse 12 again, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Verse 13, chosen in the Lord. Verses 14 to 16, brothers and sisters, all the saints, all the churches of Christ. All these diverse people yet made common in Christ. (laughs) What in the world can do that? The answer is nothing in the world can do that. But Christ can. The gospel is able to make one new people, no matter how different we might be. If we have Christ, we can have these kinds of friendships. In fact, Jesus is able to make friends from enemies because that is exactly what the gospel message is. Remember Romans 5.10, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. How does Christ overcome us? By making us his friends. How did he defeat you? He defeated you by making you a friend. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis says this, Friendship, I have said, is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought that no one but myself. In other words, common interests or understanding creates friends. And what all Christians share in common is the realization that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the saving message of the gospel, we are doomed. Whether you read it in the scriptures or feel it in your own conscience, you know that you somehow do not add up to some standard. And unless there's rescue, unless there's help, you're doomed. But the gospel tells us there is rescue, there is help, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we find others that their hearts beat the same as our own, we are bound to them. And we are made one in Christ. Lewis goes on. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends stand side-by-side, absorbed in some common interests. Because the gospel has brought us one, our common passion, our common love for Christ, people who may not be anything like at all like each other in the world can be brothers and sisters in a larger family. 
And so what that means in the church is that millennials can fellowship with boomers. Introverts will join small groups with extroverts. Jocks pray with the choir kids. Surfers study the Bible with golfers. Fitness nuts will worship with couch potatoes because of the gospel. Because of the thing that makes us all the same. Because we have a friend of sinners and he creates amazing spiritual friendships. You see, the gospel doesn't just transform us personally. It transforms the communities we inhabit. And good friendships based on the gospel, pursuing God's glory is one of those blessings. And finally, God's gospel is the model of friendship. Let me just close by giving four quick kind of ways to strengthen your current friendships directly that come from Romans 16. Number one, honor one another. Did you sense this as we read through Romans 16? Paul just honored his friends. He honored them for their generosity, for their commitment, for their hard work, for their wisdom, for their maturity. And in essence, Paul is leading the way in what he talked about in Romans 12.10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Friends, do you honor your friends? Now, I understand, depending on your cultural context, sarcasm can be a show of affection. I get that. But a biblical model is to also honor them. Friends, we live in a day and age of a lot of just um, light, uh, light and surface compliments. When was the last time you told your friend, your brother or sister, here's what I really admire in you. Here is how you make me more like Christ. Here is how I'm blessed because you're in my life. Honor one another. And you know what? It might feel awkward. You may feel awkward saying it. They will certainly feel awkward receiving it. Why? Because we live in a world where we're used to sarcasm and peeing on the surface. But to look someone in the eye and say, I'm more like Christ because of you in this way. Oh, that's good for the soul, man. Honor one another. Secondly, as Paul says here, show affection for one another. Yes, these are friends, but notice they're also family Brother, sister, mother, he calls them. Warmth and care run all through this chapter. In verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Oh, some of you don't know him, but there was a man here, Ralph. Remember him? Who remembers Ralph Van Pearson? He freaked me out the first time I met him because he literally greeted me with a holy kiss. We got a young man here. That's the reason he, started, he came to this church. That's the reason he's at this church. Because this older geriatric man would cross generational lines and grab this shaggy millennial and plant one right on him. And he said, this is where I need to be. That being said, let me warn you of two ditches on this verse. One is taking it too literally. Don't walk around kissing people in church. You'll get a hashtag me too. All right, this not, doesn't work in our culture. That's one ditch you crash in, too literally. The other ditch is taking it too lightly. All right, taking it too lightly. Let me read to you. I mean, it, it's the Phillips paraphrase of the Bible, how they have domesticated this verse. This is how they render verse 16. Give each other a hearty handshake all around for my sake. <laughs> that is sterile and very un... That's not the point. Friends, some people only receive affection when they come home from work from their dog. That shouldn't, how it be. that shouldn't be what it's like for the church. 
When we're here, there should be warmth and affection. Whatever is the culturally appropriate way to show that warmth, care, and affection ought to be shown and in abundance. Norm, are you here? I don't think they're here. It's a rare Sunday. One of the reasons I love having a friend named Norm, you know where I'm going with this, because I, when I see him, I say, Norm! That's how it should be for all of our names. We have such affection for each other that we're excited to see one another and we care for one another. So honor one another, show affection for one another, and third, do ministry together. Friends, notice this is not a social list. This is not what Paul's doing here. He's not saying these are just my buddies. These are brothers and sisters, a band of brothers and sisters serving the Lord together, giving their all for the one who gave them all. Friends who serve together, they grow together towards each other and towards the Lord. That's one of the reasons I always want you guys serving in some capacity at this church, not just because we have slots that need to be filled. That, that may be true, but that's not the reason I, I encourage you to get involved. And I've said it before. It's because when you roll up your sleeves and you get involved, you get to know the cream of the, tr- the, cream of the crop. I want you in service because I'm jealous for you to meet some of the wonderful people I know inhabit these hallways. And I don't want you on the peripheral edge. I want you coming towards the center so you can know people and be blessed by them like I've been blessed by them, but like I get blessed by them. Do ministry together. Roll your sleeves up. Get into the trenches of life. Do ministry together. Fourth and finally, Stay focused on the gospel together. So let me address briefly verses 17 to 20. Um, It may seem like those verses come somewhat out of the blue, but knowing the broader context that Paul's talking about, these wonderfully rich friendships that the gospel creates, it makes a little more sense because if it was the gospel that formed these friendships, it's the story and the goal of the gospel that's directing these friendships and strengthening these friendships. Therefore, it follows, avoid, stay away from those who would distort it, corrupt it, or use the gospel for their own personal means. In verse 19, he equates their obedience with their faith. To embrace a false gospel would be disastrous to real friendships being lived together because sin always leads to self-centered living. And his allusion to this word, appetites there, it it really kind of, it's a vivid word picture because that's the essence of sin. An appetite, when you're hungry, when you're really hungry, you tend to be thinking one thing, how do I satisfy my hunger? And he says their, their appetite is themselves. That is the essence of sin. Sin, we get curved inward toward ourselves and upon ourselves. It, there's, an, there's an allusion here to Genesis chapter 3. In verse 20, he makes an allusion to it. Um, when he talks about the, the, that the Lord will crush the head of Satan. So let me read you Genesis 3, 6. This is where Eve is considering the the, the fruit. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make her wise, she was was looking at this temptation and thinking of all the benefits it was going to come to her. The enemy had tempted her. If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. But here was the lie. She already was like God. Genesis 1 tells us Adam and Eve were made in his image. They were already like God, and yet the enemy deceived her through sin. That's the nature of sin. It deceives. And the first person that's deceived by sin is the person who sins. That's just the, way, that's the law of the jungle. The nature of sin is to deceive you, and the one that gets deceived is you first. 
because you think you can get away with it. You think this is where life is found, and it's not. That's why the truth is so powerful. That's why the gospel is so powerful. That's why Paul says, avoid those who would corrupt it. They may be smooth. They may be slick. They may seem like they're preaching the gospel, but you better know the gospel so you can avoid it when it's, it's the false gospel. And so he says, he will, that the Lord will crush Satan with his feet. So basically, Genesis 3.15, here's what we call the first gospel. God is giving judgment, and he speaks to the serpent. I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will crush your head, although you'll bruise his heel. Paul's saying, hey, stay focused on the promises of God. Stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the message that reconciles us to God and that's the message that reconciles us to one another. And the brilliant example of that is this motley, diverse group of friends in Romans 16 is the perfect example of what the gospel can do. Finally, how does Paul end the greatest letter ever written? Well, look at verses 25 to 27. He ends Romans the same way he began it, with a doxology. And in chapter 1, he says, this gospel is the gospel that saves us. In chapter 16, he says, this same gospel strengthens us. And in the middle of both doxologies, it's Jesus Christ at the center of it, calling us, changing us, comforting us, challenging us, conforming us to be the men and women God wants us to be. We don't become authentic human beings by pursuing our own authenticity. We become what we were meant to be when we pursue Christ. And Paul says this gospel is for the nations. Now made known to all the prophetic writings. He's talking about the Bible. And I like this, according to the command of God, God says, get out there and do it. Bring the gospel into the world. The only wise God to whom be glory forever. Friends, this amazing book, just let me wrap this up. It ends on such a paradox, a note of, of intimacy of friends and the majesty of God, which to me is a wonderful picture, picture of what eternity is like. Majesty, intimacy, friends, family, all because of the message of the gospel, and that message is that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners, and that is who we have the privilege to model our lives after. I'm going to end with um, Paul's closing prayer in this book. I invite the, the musicians to come up onto the platform, and I'd like you to bow your heads as I read this conclusion, this prayer, and this end of the book of Romans. Would you bow your heads with me? Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.